So did you talk to any of your friends about this and ask them like, hey, are you guys having some of the same things happening? No, I didn't because I, the thing is about OCD is that it tells you lies and it tells you you're the only one grappling with this issue is that you think that you're the only one who's scared to be around knives. You think you're the only one who thinks they see germs everywhere. That's probably one of the most common. We all think OCD is about germs and washing your hands. It's a lot more than that, but you think that you're the only one who's grappling with this issue. So you know that there's something different and it makes you believe there's something wrong with you. Hi friends and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. My next guest is going to take us where not many people are willing to go. She's going to share her story of what it was like to be living with a debilitating mental illness. She had been living with OCD for most of her life without a diagnosis and was in constant battle with her thoughts. While she struggled with OCD, she was in a toxic marriage, raising kids and managing a highly successful career. She's going to talk about what it was like to be living with a mental illness and how she overcame it. Yes, you heard that right. She is an OCD overcomer. She is now at a place where she feels stronger, happier and more optimistic about life than ever before. Her story is going to change the way one might look at mental illness, and instead of being quick to judge, one might just really consider that OCD is an illness, not a choice, and this story is going to give hope to people out there that yes, it can be overcome, because my guest today is living proof. I know it takes a lot of courage to share something so personal, something that has so much stigma around it. So mental illness is now coming to the forefront of more conversations but I don't really know if we understand the impact and what exactly mental illness looks like in the daily life of the person living with it. We might be more comfortable with the word mental illness, but to be honest with you, even myself, I didn't know a whole lot about OCD before you shared your story with me. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to tell this story. Me too. Me too. I just know all that you're going to share your vulnerability and your openness is going to give so much freedom and enlighten so many people in an area that really maybe is so kind of glossed over we know the word but do we really know how it impacts someone and and how to overcome uh overcome it like you have so i'm so excited that you're going to be able to share that with so many oh, people out there. Thank you okay. so much. So let's start here. How old were you when OCD started for you and how did it present in your life? I look back to when I was really young and I think it started probably at around age 10, 11 or 12 in that area there. Um, and it presented itself first as obsessive thoughts that would get stuck in my head. They're called intrusive thoughts. Of course, at the time, I didn't know that. They're bizarre and they don't make sense. And they're usually the antithesis of who you are. So the intrusive thoughts can be anything from, you know, I can't be trusted around a knife because I might pick it up and stab someone to, um, when you're an adult, I accidentally ran someone over with a car. So for me, when it started in, I think it was grade, the fifth grade or sixth grade, I was worried about being around knives and picking one up. And I remember telling my mom about it. And she said, well, you've been watching too much violence on TV, um, you know, mystery shows or what have you. And um and that's it, Nancy, you're, you're, you're fine. There's nothing to worry about. Okay, but then when I would go into a kitchen and even if it was a butter knife, I would see that butter knife and my mind would say, well, you're gonna pick it up and stab someone with it. 
So get away from it. So I couldn't look at the knife. I couldn't be around a butter knife for goodness sake. And I was in sixth grade. And, you know, at first the, the thought would come into my mind and you get stuck for a little bit. You sort of go around in your mind thinking, am I really scared of a butter knife? What do I do if that butter knife is around? Oh my gosh, I can't stop thinking about the butter knife. And it goes in loops and loops and loops. But then, you know, it wasn't that bad at first. It would just go away after a couple of minutes and it didn't become problematic until I was much older. Mm. So did you talk to any of your friends about this and ask them like, hey, are you guys having some of the same things happening? No, I didn't because... I, the thing is about OCD is that it tells you lies and it tells you you're the only one grappling with this issue is that you think that you're the only one who's scared to be around knives. You think you're the only one who thinks they see germs everywhere. That's probably one of the most common. We all think OCD is about germs and washing your hands. It's a lot more than that, but you think that you're the only one who's grappling with this issue. So you know that there's something different and it makes you believe there's something wrong with you. For instance, you can't be trusted around a knife because you're going to pick it up and stab someone. You are a murderer. So then you start going around in your mind, am I a murderer? I thought I was a good person. I don't even like watching murders on TV and these mystery shows that I watch. Well, maybe I am. Maybe this is how it starts. And you start accepting the intrusive thought and kicking it around in your head. And that's what you're not supposed to do, which is something I've learned over the years. But you accept the thought instead of it just being an intrusive thought that comes into your head and you push it away. Most people, if um, they get it, everybody gets intrusive thoughts. You know, everybody will be watching a TV news program or the news and you hear about you know, some parent that went crazy and, you know, murder, suicide, killed the whole family. And then that was it. We all hear that. I mean, everybody probably at one point or another thinks, "Ooh, how could anyone do that? And you kick it around in your mind for maybe a split second thinking what goes through that person's mind when they're committing an act of murder. But then you dismiss it because, you know, that has nothing to do with you and you just go on living your life. The people with OCD, they accept the thought And because they're thinking the thought, they think that that defines them and that's who they are. And they therefore get stuck in this loop thinking, oh, my God, I'm a murderer now. Just because I've thought about what other people may have done in their lives, I am therefore a murderer. And it's not true. So when you get some of these thoughts that come in and out, like, for example, the thought about a knife, if you had that thought when you were young, Do the thoughts always stick with you or do they loop, 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 and then you move on to a different thought? How does that kind of show up? Well, they loop around forever in your brain and you start accepting it and you think you're a murderer. So then you start what psychologists say is avoidance. So you avoid the knives or whatever it is, the issue that you're scared of, the germs, you avoid getting in a car, whatever it is. And that's when it starts to become a problem. And yes, it can switch from murdering to germs to so many different issues. I mean, there's OCD out there where, you know, the hit and run OCD, where you think you've hit someone and run them over with a car. Um, There's religious OCD, where you think you might be possessed by the devil. And therefore, you're scared to go to church or whatever religious ceremony that you normally would go to. Um, there's homosexual OCD, which is a fear that you are gay, even though you know you're not, or it could be heterosexual OCD where you know you're gay, but you think you might be, um, not gay, heterosexual. So then you start ruminating about that. So none of them make sense and none of them sound like, um, anything logical because they're not, it's basically some, a chemical in your brain that causes you to loop around and not get that thought out of your head. And it can, and it can change. It can switch. You can be one day scared about knives. The next day you're scared about driving a car and, or leaving your kid in the car. That was one of the ones that I had as a grew older you know you hear these stories on the news about um parents that leave their kid in the car when it's cold or super hot and the child dies so then you keep checking the back seat of your car thinking is my child there did i leave them there you go outside you check your car even though you know your kids are in the house so none of it makes sense it's ocd it's accepting a thought and then checking it and playing around with it and not being able to do anything else about it hmm 
So once this kind of started in fifth or sixth grade, was there any normalcy? Like, were there just periods of the looping thoughts? Or were there some times where you just, they kind of left and you kind of were able to have just the everyday kind of normal, easy flowing thoughts? Yes. Yes. There are days where it was completely normal and my mind would wander freely. And then the thoughts stuck again. When the thoughts got stuck, I tried everything I could to get busy. And psychologists will even say, try to get busy, get your mind off something else. People will say to you, well, just don't think about it. And I would get so frustrated because I think, well, yeah, if I could just not think about it, for sure, I would, life would be great. But you can't when you have OCD, because that's all you can focus in on. And your mind goes there. And you start um, participating in what they call compulsions, the OCD. And um, the compulsion aspect is trying to get that thought out of your head. Someone with germs, OCD, will wash their hands repeatedly till they become raw because they just want to get rid of the germs. That act of washing your hands will make it worse, actually, believe it or not. And that's where the loop goes. So if you're worried about knives and you avoid knives, that's going to make it worse. You have to confront your fear almost in a way. If you're scared that you've run someone over with a car, you actually have to continue driving your car. They say that those things, that's exposure response therapy. People who may have um, fear of an OCD, homosexual OCD, they may not want to look at pictures in the media of someone of the same sex because they'll be scared that they're going to find themselves attracted to that person. Same with gay. You know, you'd be working, looking at someone from the opposite sex. Don't want to do that because I know I'm gay. Um, as soon as you start avoiding situations, that's when the OCD will get actually worse. And the person with OCD will say to you, I cannot get in my car and drive it. There's no way I can drive it because I'm scared I'm going to run over someone and just flee the scene. And the act of confronting it is so excruciatingly painful. Words can't describe it. That you, you just can't. It's so hard. And that's why it's such a difficult illness to overcome is the cure can be facing it and doing it anyway. And it's very difficult. It's very painful. As I grew older and the thoughts became more pronounced and more disturbing. And when I say disturbing, it can be anything from sexual assault to brutal um, you know, death. And you actually think you're this horrible person who's gone out and sexually assaulted people when you haven't when it became 24 7 365 and I actually believed that I was a horrible murdering person sexual assaulter person and I couldn't breathe most days I couldn't eat because the act of eating would make me feel sick everything made me feel sick to my stomach I went down to like um I think it was like 95 pounds I'm 5'3 I'm a very tiny woman as it is, but 95 pounds was absolutely terrifying. I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. Um, and it was literally 24 seven. There was no relief from it whatsoever. And um, for me, the compulsion at that point became sticking my fingernails in my forehead to take the pain away from the thoughts. And I remember one day very vividly looking in the mirror uh, washing my hands. And then I looked up, looked in the mirror, and there were all these little marks in my forehead from my fingernails, the crescent moon marks. Like they were so deep in there. Like my forehead looked, it was red and raw because I was the pain of jamming my fingers into my forehead was less painful than the thoughts. And it felt better. Like I was probably like just weeks away from cutting myself because I wanted to take the pain that was in my head um away and I looked in the mirror and I saw these little crescent moons and I thought what the hell how what and I knew at that moment looking in the mirror um trying to manage three kids and it was not a very healthy marriage I was in I was driving 200 kilometers to work one way every day to put food in the fan uh, on the table and I was I was making and earning a good income. Somehow I was able to concentrate enough, but I looked in the mirror and I said, oh my God. And I was thin and gaunt and there was no fat left on me. And I scared myself looking in that mirror. And I said, 
you got to get help here. You got to go see someone. But the OCD was so intense. It was telling me, you can't go see someone. They're going to lock you up. You're, they're going to take your kids away from you and you're going to lose everything. Then you really are going to be the murderer, the sexual assaulter, the person who's in that quote unquote rubber room. And you can't do that. You just have to figure out a way to fake it through this. But I literally couldn't fake it anymore. Mm. So you said a few things there. You tried to keep yourself busy and tried to take the pain away by basically creating pain to take the place of the pain that you had um, and that you couldn't, couldn't do it any longer. So before this point, were there any other times where before it got this intense that you tried to seek out help or kind of put it into check along the way? I did for sure. I, I would go see psychotherapists, psychologists. I think I saw one psychologist. Most of them were psychotherapists. And it was always, whenever you go see a psychotherapist, you start off by going through your family history, looking at all the childhood traumas and trying to heal those childhood traumas and trying to go forward. Um, and it was no of no help. But part of the problem was my problem because I didn't want to tell them what the real issue was. I didn't want to say, you know, um, I'm scared of being around knives or I'm scared I might be gay because I know that I'm not. And it's not that I'm scared of being gay. It's that the thought won't get out of my head and I keep having to check and see if my mind is wandering freely. It's checking, rechecking. And so part of the problem was mine for not telling the truth in those sessions. But part of the problem also was when I did go get help and I did tell them about the obsessions about the knives and the gay OCD, I was told that I could be gay. And that was really scary because that was confirming what the fear was in the OCD would be like going, like saying knives, well, maybe you should stay away from knives. And that scared me. I mean, it, it made it 5,000 times worse because the psychotherapist didn't have um, the psychological training to identify that this was OCD. No fault on his or hers. There was a few of them, but they weren't trained in that discipline. So they thought, well, maybe this is something we should explore. Maybe she is gay. Maybe she, this is something that she needs to reckon or deal with. And no, that was the worst thing because then I became even more scared and the OCD got worse. It was rather it, them focusing in on that issue instead of saying, well, okay, tell me about these thoughts. What are they? And how often are they occurring in your head? And what are you doing to get rid of them? That would have been the right thing, the correct path to diagnosis, which is why I really feel strongly in sharing my story now with other people, because even with, you know, frontline healthcare workers don't know what this is. They think OCD is still handwashing. Even my family doctor at the time had never heard of this type of OCD. But she said, are you washing your hands a lot? It's like, no, no, because right. that's not, germs aren't my thing. You know, um, it's, I'm worried about knives. I'm worried about running over people. Uh, you know, all of these things that don't make any sense. So um, yeah, I was misdiagnosed a lot. So I never got the help that I needed. And I went for, from, you know, grade five or six, all the way up until I was 42 before I found someone who was able to say, this is OCD, sounds very much like OCD. And it sounds like something they call pure O, um, which is just the intrusive thoughts that just don't go away. And um, there are things that you can do to help you. You know, there's exposure response therapy, there is um, cognitive behavior therapy, and there's medication. And of course I did all three, so there's medication, Bring it on. I'm ready. <laughs> so the medication um, really for me, not for everybody, but for me, it is what changed my life. And I'm not afraid to admit it now. I'm really not. Mm, well, how beautiful that. Yeah, you lived all of those years not knowing. And yeah, like you said, when I heard of OCD, that's the only thing that people really talked about obsessive hand washing like that's ocd right like 
who knew that it was just could be a variety of thoughts um that just are intrusive and keep looping and looping like i had no idea that was even a thing so okay before we talk about how um your therapies have impacted your life let's go to i want to i'm kind of curious about how you were so successful you had a successful career how did you manage that and do so well while um dealing with this mental illness like did other people notice did it help you in certain ways in your position like how could you be so successful and be dealing with that every day like you said 24 7. see this is the thing is that i wish i had an answer for you in terms of how i did it it's just that it's that old quote that you don't know how strong you are until you have no choice but to be strong and i had no choice but to be strong i was the sole breadwinner at the house um the only one bringing in and i had three kids that i had to provide for and you don't have a choice, even though you're going through this hell and you just have to do it. And the thing is, is that with mental illness, it's really easy to cover it up. And that's why they say it's, it's, it's hidden. It's not like it's an overt thing where that you can see as you look at someone's face. Um, it's a hidden, mental illness is hidden. A lot of people don't know that you have it. Like Howie Mandel, he's famous Canadian or Canadian and comedian. You know, he everybody knows he has OCD because he talks about the fist bump that he fist bumps people because he doesn't want to touch them. He's worried about germs, and he talks about it. But until we started talking about it, you never would have known that he had that issue. So until people talk about it, no one really knows. Until people start spreading the word, no one really knows. So I was able to hide it. Um, it's funny because I have bangs um my hair because well for one thing I had bad acne as a teenager and I started wearing bangs to hide it but also because I was jamming my fingers into my forehead I didn't want people to see the marks so that's why I have bangs to this day so I was able to hide some of it um one of the other things that I did when the thoughts got really bad it was really strange is that there were certain days where the thoughts were bad and whatever piece of clothing I was wearing that day, when the thoughts were bad, I wouldn't go back to it. And so if I was wearing, let's say I'm wearing this orange t-shirt, um, I would never wear it again because the thoughts were bad that day. But if I had a good day, let's say I was wearing a white t-shirt and it was a good day, I'm going to wear that t-shirt until it dies because <laughs> that t-shirt is good luck. So I would hide it. And I, sometimes I'd wear two or three layers of clothes, the white t-shirt was good luck. So I'd wear it underneath my other clothes. So that's another way of hiding things. So I could hide the good luck clothes that I was wearing to everybody else. They didn't think I was wearing the same thing every day. Um, and I'd only wear it until, you know, I had a bad day of bad thoughts, then that t-shirt right in the garbage. So um, the thing is you can hide it and you can be strong because you don't have a choice but to be strong and my biggest fear was losing my kids through all this and so all i could think of is i am the only one providing for them monetarily so i can't be locked up in that rubber room because you know what then there really be you know like my family will be a mess so i had to do it and there were times at work where i was sitting in a meeting thoughts were really bad. I couldn't concentrate on what was going on. Of course, I had to excuse myself, go to the washroom, think, ruminate about the thoughts, try to, you know, put on a brave face, jam my fingers into my forehead, wash my face, go back out, sit down again until I could handle it. So just you find ways to deal with it. But then, thank goodness, I found someone who was able to help me and get onto the medication understanding exposure response uh, therapies and moving forward. I say I'm an overcomer because I really believe I am. They say that OCD is a chronic condition. It never goes away. It ebbs and flows. It gets up to a peak and then goes down again. I really feel like I'm in that position where I'm just very comfortable and I know I'm an overcomer. And that's what I tell my brain that I'm an overcomer and that it's time to start talking about it so that other people can learn 
and not suffer the way I did for 30 years. Mm, I love that. That's such a good point you brought up that in mental illness, you you can't see it. The person looking in, um, it's not like a broken leg or a broken arm or scars or, you know, you can't see it and you really truly don't know what anybody is thinking. And there's so many people, you know, that have come out different uh, celebrities and in the news that after years and years of years where from the outsider looking in, it looks like things are going good. They've got a joyful life. They have done a really good job of, of covering it up until there's a point where it's like not going to work anymore. So yeah, mm-hmm. there are so many people out there that don't are kind of keeping it hidden or a secret because of many reasons, right? Oh yeah. Cause you don't want people to think that you're scared of knives for goodness sakes. No one's going to have you over for dinner. You're going to be scared right. you're going to pick up a knife, right? So you don't want to tell people that. Um, and that's why you hide it. But the more we talk about it, the better it is. The interesting thing about mental illness being hidden is that it's hidden from the rest of the world, but to you, it's very real. And you cannot get away from your mind. You know, at one point I had a therapist say, well, you know, just have a quiet movie night, put on a movie and relax. Like, oh my gosh, I can't because I can't get away from my mind. And there'll be a zillion things in that movie that's going to remind me of whatever I'm obsessing about. And I can't, you cannot get away from your mind. And and, in the very worst days, I was scared to sleep and I was scared to be awake. Sleeping, I was scared because I was scared I was going to get nightmares about knives or doing the worst case scenario, running someone over with a car, leaving my kid in the car, whatever. I was scared they were going to show up in my dreams, right? And of course, as soon as you got start getting scared about that, they do show up in your dreams. So then you can't sleep properly. And then when you wake up, that's all you think about. So you there's really no escape from your mind. And you can understand how people can get to the point where they just don't want to live anymore. Because you get up every day. Not only do you have to battle all the things that are going on in the world, with the news and work and kids and finances, you're battling your mind nonstop. It's absolutely friggin' exhausting. Like there's no word for it. And, and when you cannot even get away from it by putting on a movie or reading a book or whatever it is that you're doing, sleeping, there's just no help. I mean, right. you get to the point where you're so depressed I mean, you you think there's no way out. There's no way out because you're just battling your mind 24-7. It's there's no no describing how excruciating, painful, painful it is. Mm. You said earlier that you drove 200 kilometers one way to work. Okay, so there's two things. You talk about possibly running someone over. You're driving 400 kilometers a day. How, how did you drive that distance? And then in that time, that is a lot of time to be sitting and not busy. What did you do to like distract yourself or the thoughts or, or did they flood in on the drive in and out of work every day? For sure they did. And there were times where I had to pull over and I had to get out of my car. Like there were, you know, spots along the way to work where I would stop and get a coffee or, you know, have to run to the bathroom or whatever. I mean, there are restaurant stops on highways and I would stop and I would have to get out and walk. It would make my commute even longer than it was. And it was way too long to begin with. And that was because of problems that I had in the marriage itself. But I mean, it made things worse. So if, if, if my commute was like an hour and a half one way, it would make it two hours because I had to stop so often and I had to go off and think and clear my mind. I'd turn off the radio. I try to find talk radio. I try to find, you know, loud music to distract me, you know, roll the window down so that you're freezing um, distraction or that you're boiling in the summer distraction, anything to get my mind off what I was doing, I had to do. Um, And it was just, it was so tiring. You know, I got so tired and that commute And that particular job and where I was living, I knew it had to end. All those things were coming together 
at one time. The OCD was so intense. I was, you know, 95 pounds. I had those crescent wounds all over my forehead. I was driving all this distance, which wasn't helping, obviously. And I was not in a very healthy marriage. You know, I was at a point where, um, you know, some very cruel things were said to me. And, and I said, you know, things have to change. I cannot live like this anymore in any aspect of my life. And I have to protect my children. So um, that's when I started making changes. And it, it just coincidentally was when I got diagnosed and I started on the medication and the proper therapies and I started to get better. And it really was a turning point. There was a lot of other things in my life that happened after that. But, you know, when you have your mind free to actually focus on the things that you need to focus on, it makes life so much easier. It really does. So even if I'm in physical pain now or any sort of pain, I can handle it because I've dealt with the worst kind of pain you can possibly deal with. And that's not having your mind to yourself. Right. Yes. That's so powerful. So talk about when you got the medication and got your diagnosis. What did that do for you? Oh, it was wonderful. I still remember I said, I looked at the therapist and I said, you mean this is OCD? And he looked at me and said, oh yeah, it's OCD. I said, OCD. And I think I said it four times and he said, yes. And I was, I just sat there and I went, I mean, I'm not crazy. <laughs> you know, like, cause you really think that you're losing, like I was, I was losing my mind. My mind was not my own. And I remember being so relieved. And then I got some medication and I remember when I got home from the pharmacy, I opened it up and you look at all the warnings on all medications and, and what it, what the medication is intended to treat. And it said unwanted thoughts. And I stared at it. I said, wow. I mean, other people have unwanted thoughts like this. I couldn't believe like I honest to God that I was the only one grappling with these weird thoughts. And that's the lie that OCD tells you. That you're the only one. Mm. You can't tell anyone because you're going to end up in jail or you're going to end up in a rubber oh. room or whatever. So I saw that warning or what the medication was intended for that day. And I was like, unwanted thoughts. Wow. And I just said, well, I'm going to take this and give it a shot. <laughs> and, you know, it started to get better within three weeks. Um, wasn't a hundred percent. You know, I had to still use those therapies that I learned. And then, you know, my doctor slowly increased the meds. And, you know, you had to go through some, you know, dry mouth was a side effect and being groggy and tired. I remember at the height of medication when it was starting to kick in, I thought, gee, I know why there's so many people out there with mental illness who say they don't like what medication does to them because it makes you feel groggy and dry mouth. And there are side effects. But then I said, I, I'm just going to keep going. You know, if I'm groggy, I'm groggy. I just, I have to do this. The grogginess went away. The dry mouth went away. And so did the thoughts. Oh, it was great. Wow. It was beautiful. Beautiful. I still remember one day I was lying at the beach, looking up at the sky and the clouds going by. And I said, wow, this is so nice. I'm just lying here and my mind is wandering freely. It's not ruminating on thoughts. It's not thinking about how long it was since I last thought about the last thought. I mean, it, it was just a wonderful feeling. So I will never go off those meds because it's like being diabetic. You take your medication. If you have cancer, you take your medication. Whatever it is, if you have a thyroid condition, you take it. So I am very thankful. I live where when I am now and not 200 years ago when there was no medication for this. I thank the pharmaceutical companies for coming up with the medications and doing the research and I just take them and I'm happy to. Yes. I love that. I hear um, many stories of people who get on to a medication and then they think, wow, I feel so good. Like I don't need it anymore. Like I just oh, yes. am on this medication. Did that ever, did that thought yes. ever come up with you? Okay. Yes. And I'm going to tell you, I made a mistake. I went off them once. The very first time I said, oh, this is great. You know, maybe, maybe it wasn't OCD. And I don't know why, but there was still that part of me thinking this can't be OCD. OCD is only hand washing. So I went off them and they came back. So I went back on them again and said, okay, well, I'm not making that mistake again. 
So it, it's so weird how OCD works. You know, every so often I still think, well, it's not OCD. That was just whatever. But no, I know it is. And I know I can't go off them and I won't. And I don't need to go off them because um, they work. So I never made that mistake again, because when they came back, it was probably one of the worst times ever where I thought, oh, no, I can't get these thoughts out. What am I going to do? Well, what you're going to do, Nancy, is you're going to go back and take your medication. (laughs) So that's what I did. Yeah, just got to test it out just to make sure. I want to know, is OCD genetic or how does it develop in the brain? Because you said there's like a chemical that causes those thoughts. Yeah, I'm not an expert in that, but I do know that there there are a couple of risk factors that they say is a family member, a close relative who's had OCD. So you may be more likely to develop it. Um, Something to do with streptococcal infection as a child. Um, I think it's called PANDAS. I'm not quite sure of the acronym, but they think that that may have something to do with it. There's still a lot of research going on, but definitely if you have a close family relative who's had it, anxiety or depression, you could develop it. And there's something, they're still doing all this research into the streptococcal connection um, of what it is. So, you know, I really, I, this is the other reason why I want to talk about it is because I want to encourage research. I want them to find out why, like what causes this, you know? I mean, we have all these cancer research foundations and they're great. Why can't we have a research foundation out there that looks into the causes of this, because then, you know, if you know what the causes are and, and you're exhibiting symptoms and you go to that primary care physician, they might be better able to do a complete diagnostic on you to find out if this is something you could be susceptible to. And if you have it, um, it'll go a long way. Mm-hmm. I want to know, is there a question like in a conversation as you grew up, whether it was your parents or a friend or a coworker, is there kind of like an open question that might've led you to open up about what you were going through? Or, you know, if you have like a child or a coworker or just to kind of open up the conversation to for people to share, because like you said, a lot of people aren't sharing about it because um, because of the thoughts that they're yeah. having and maybe feeling alone and like nobody else is happening. Is there something that somebody could have said to you along the way that maybe would have made you feel like it was a safe space to share that? Yeah, I think at the time, I'm not sure unless it was someone else who was exhibiting or, or like, and it was similar to mine, then I may have. If someone else had brought up, you know, I have OCD and it's not hand washing, it's this. For me, it's this. I may have opened up that, but I, that opportunity had never presented itself to me. So, um, no, I mean, I wish that would have happened so I didn't have to suffer all those years. And the other thing, too, is that, you know, parents you know, it's good to know what the the warning signs are. Like if a child comes to you and says, I can't stop thinking this weird thought, you know, that should be the thing that you should look into. Because if a child, and it usually develops around the age that it developed for me, 10, 11, 12, that's when it's going to first manifest itself in a child. So if they come to you and say something like, I know I'm not gay, but I can't stop thinking about it. Or I know that I'm not going to kill anyone, but I have these images of knives and they scare me or, you know, it could be anything. I have these germs on my hands and I can't get rid of them. You know, that is your sign to look into it and to go to the child's pediatrician or family doctor and say, you know, could this be OCD? My child is suffering here. And that's something um, not to be scared of as a parent, because there's a lot of help out there for children. And it does happen around that age, around 11 or 12, just as you're entering puberty to make things even worse for a child entering puberty, that's when it hits. So the parents out there need to know the signs as well. Right. Um, Let's talk about where you are now. So you have your, how long have you been on the medication and how, how does your life look different now? Well, it's been 10 years. 
um, maybe a little bit more than 10 years, but it's been amazing. I can concentrate at work now, not have to take bathroom timeouts um, unless I really have to go to the bathroom, um, <laughs> which is great. Wow, what a wonderful thought. Um, so that's great. I um, I am on my own now. I'm not uh, married anymore. That's another story. Um, but I am still the financial breadwinner and I provide for my family. Very proud of that too. And I'm starting my own business now, um, branching out on my own, which is very exciting. So I really feel like, you know, I'm a successful person in life because I've been through all of this hell where I couldn't get away from my brain, but now I'm using my brain to help me, which is just awesome. It's mm. such a brain feeling. That, actually that just use gave it. me, oh. Yeah. It gave me chills. Like yeah, use your... the brain the way it's intended to be used, not yes. to be stuck on this. You know, I always tell people like, put your hand in front of your eyes and try to move your hand away from your eyes. Like you're trying to look at something, but that hand will not go away. It's like having a brick right in front of your eyes and you can't get that brick away and you're just trying to concentrate, but that brick is there. Um, how frustrating would that be before you just break down and say, go away. Um, so yeah, it's a wonderful feeling. And to know that I've been able to provide for my family all by myself and I own a home, I, um, I've been successful both with my family and with my, with my career. It's just a wonderful feeling to know that you can do all these things despite having something that's really awful to contend with. I love that. There is, yeah, hope to change just because you're living through something. Maybe someone is currently in that position that you were in that, I mean, it can change and it doesn't have to be the same. And the brain can be a beautiful thing it is. when, when you've, yeah, found the right treatment for yourself so you can use it in the way that you've intended. It's funny because I, for years, you know, I would say, I just hate this OCD soon so much or I hate these thoughts so much because I didn't know what it was just want it to go away just want it to go away and now I look at it and I never thought I'd be the type of person who would say this but I look at it as a gift and and I can't believe that's coming out of my mouth because those years I just wanted it gone and it is a gift because it's taught me a lot of empathy in my life and I remember you know, back during the height of the fear of AIDS and everybody was scared of getting AIDS back in the 80s. And, and you'd see these people on TV and say, well, I've got it, but it's a gift. And I think, what? How can these people say that? It's a gift. Or you'd see people struggling with cancer and they say, no, it's been a real gift for me. And you think, okay, they are on crack. Like there's just no way you can look at it that way. But I'm at that point now where I look at it that way because I know that I can help other people I know that I have a story that has to be told because, you know, one of the people that you and I both know, Christina Lecouye, um, says, you know, your pain is for a purpose. And I have that purpose out there to tell people about what I've been through so that I can help others grapple with it. And that's the gift is that I can empathize with them. Oh, I just love that. And I think like this whole podcast uh, kind of is around all things relatable. If somebody has someone like you who is successful in their career, is successful in the relationships uh, that you have today, that has overcome this mental illness, if they can see themselves in you and know that it's possible, then when you have somebody to relate to, then there is a glimmer of hope. When you see someone else in the face of it talking about, you know, a, an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people, even if people aren't the one going through it, some people can just feel so uncomfortable having a conversation around it, even if it's not even them. So you being here today and sharing your story and being so vulnerable and open, I just think that is going to change things for all these people out there who just need so a little I glimmer of hope. If I can help one person, then I'll have, I will feel successful in sharing my story because mm. it's something you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. It's so painful. So I just want to help that one person out there who doesn't know, thinks that, you know, OCD is hand washing or arranging things in a certain way in your room or what have you. 
those can all be OCD, yes, but it can also be just weird, intrusive thoughts, and and it can be overcome. There's help out there. You know, it may be exposure response therapy that works for you. It may be a combination of that with medication. It may be, you know, you have to go through three different medications before you find one that works. But there's therapies out there. and There's people out there who can help you. Yes, I love that. Okay, I want to end with a few final questions for you. Um, Okay, my first one is, what is one thing that friends, family, or the general public can do to support someone who is living with a mental illness? Understand it and do your research and know um, about the different help that can be out there. So instead of dismissing it and saying things like, well, maybe you are mentally ill and maybe you do need to go into a mental institution, probably one of the most unhelpful things you can say. So do your research. Google's a wonderful thing and find out how you can help them. Um, That's so important. Mm -hmm. Can you share three ways you're a different person now Um, now that you've overcome OCD? I'm at peace with myself. I wake up every morning and I look at the different things that I'm happy about. Um, So I say I'm thankful for everything in my life. I never used to be a thankful person before. I used to be more on the negative side of things, but now I wake up and I'm thankful for life, thankful for everything. I'm even thankful for the OCD. So that's one big change in me and I have more optimism and I have hope Mm. and that's everything in life if you have hope and optimism you are living oh I love that okay now going back can you share three ways that you're still the same person that you were before you came overcame OCD um hmm three things that are still the same well I still consider myself the same person I'm still you know, the same creative person. I used to be a radio reporter, TV reporter. I'm still creative and a little bit goofy. Um, I still have a great sense of humor. I always did. Even in the midst of my most down days, I crack jokes. So um, I still have that. And um, no, it's really hard to say, but I, I, I still feel like the same person just with more hope. Love that. I know I, I wanted to highlight on that because I feel like some people who are going through a mental illness, it's, it's not like you have to change a hundred percent who you are. It's just this mental illness on top of things clouding out, uh, maybe who you can be. Right. So it's like, you're still the same wonderful person. Um, it's just, yeah. Without that cloud on you without the cloud. Yeah. And with my brain wandering freely, it's wonderful. I mean, Mm. even talking about it now, like back then, if, if anyone said, let's talk about it, be like, no, we can't talk about it because I have to get my mind on something else. So I couldn't even talk about it, not even say the word OCD, nothing. So yeah, huge difference. I can talk. How incredible. Yes. I never even thought of that. Yeah. How incredible that you can talk about it, say the words, discuss the things. Cause yeah, back then when you were in it, like, wow, what a transformation. That is so amazing. Uh, My next question is, I guess the world is full of information about mental health, mental illness and mental wellness, but sometimes people who are not directly affected by it don't seek out information or understand some mental illnesses, but we know mental health is the number one factor of living a joyful life. What would you say is one change that needs to happen so that more people are not ignorant to mental health? Well, I think talking about it is the biggest change. And we've seen that in society where we have, you know, special days that are devoted to talking about it. But it's not enough just to have it as a hashtag. It has to be more than just talking. It has to be about doing and doing the research Um, I'm a big believer in making sure that we do the research that's necessary and arming the frontline healthcare providers with the information they need to diagnose it better. So the psychotherapists of the world need to know the signs 
the the nurses of the world need to know the signs, not just the medical profession professionals and psychologists and psychiatrists. It has to be everyone, all those primary care givers need to understand the signs. And there has to be research. So it can't just be a hashtag. That's fine. That's a good step, but we can take it a little bit further, I think. Mm, yeah, I love that. And yeah, how the people in the front lines, how are you even supposed to get beyond that point if those people don't have the information and can't lead you further? You know, and, and the psychotherapists I saw, I mean, were wonderful people. So I don't blame them for, you know, wanting to explore different areas and not realizing it was OCD because that's what they've been taught. There hasn't been as much information. I'd like to get to the point where we can give them that information and help them identify and say, you know what, this is beyond psychotherapy. This is something that you may need to see someone else for because I have some suspicions. It could be OCD or it could be this or that, you know, I really going to refer you to whoever. Mm -hmm. Okay. And my final question for you today, how would you describe your mental health today? Oh, it's, it's great. I, you know, I feel optimistic and happy all the time. Um, in fact, my friend says, who are you? Like, she'll talk to me on the, on the phone and I'll say, who is this? You know, cause I'm so different, but, um, that isn't to say that I don't have struggles because of course I do. We all have regular struggles, but I'm better able to handle them now and better equipped on how to get out of, you know, those down days I may have. Um, and that's the big difference. Mm, I love that. I'm so happy that you're here and that well, thank I... you for having me. I'm <laughs> thrilled. I'm so happy to be telling the story. Yes. You sharing your story. Um, yeah. If it impacts one person not <sighs> to be living the same kind of loop and thoughts and that being taken over, really not being able to live a joyful life. If it helps one person that would be an incredible gift, but oh, I know it's so going happy. to help yeah. so many people out there and bring an awareness to it. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.